When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Back on the College Football Survivor Show, Shahan, uh, as usual, I don't even know if I have to announce this at the beginning of a podcast. I'm confused. Maybe that's the vibe of this show every week. But... We have a bunch of big games coming this weekend. Clemson NC State is finally here. We spent a lot of time talking about Clemson NC State in the offseason, but it feels like the way we now have gotten to Clemson NC State is weird. Kind of I that we're I don't know that we're at the point that I expected with either of those two teams. Now that that game is here, we have Old Miss Kentucky um, this week as a big game. A couple other big games that really matter. But is it, is it okay that four weeks into the season, I feel like I have no grip on who's good, who's vulnerable? Last week we did is Georgia better than last year's Georgia, and then they went and Kent State gave them a game. What are we doing? What are we doing? Is it me or is it the sport? Yeah, I mean, it feels like things are flattening out. I, I think we still have kind of big picture, this top three. <clears throat> now, that doesn't mean that uh, that other teams can't jump them in a single-year ranking, but, uh, you know, outside of that, I mean, anything can happen, basically. Like, basically, and quite literally, right, we, we saw Miami, a team that, you know, we had in our converse uh, on the border of our conversation until pretty recently, go and lose to Middle Tennessee, who's one of probably the 10 or 15 worst teams in the country right now. Uh, we saw Texas A&M, a team that started number six, lose to App State. Then App State goes and loses to James Madison, right? So, like, I think that we are right now at a point where the sport is more competitive from five to like 65 than it's mm. been in a very long time. And, uh, you know, which I think is great, by the way, for the sport. I think that that the sport thrives on upsets and, and thrives on some level of competitive equity. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm curious. So from my perspective, I think that some of the things that are flattening things out are, I, I think the transfer portal kind of hits both ways. You know, uh, there are those teams, there are exactly three teams that can continuously lose talent to the transfer portal in the draft and it not matter. And that's Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. I think that that's affecting everybody else a little bit more than maybe even I expected. And you know, even I'll point to Alabama right now. They filled a lot of those gaps with transfers, obviously bringing in two receivers, bringing in Eli Ricks at corner. A lot of those guys aren't playing. And the ones who are playing aren't playing that well. You know, so like, I think that we kind of went into this process assuming, well, Alabama is going to lose all their bad players and replace them all with good players. And everybody else is just going to lose their good players for everybody else's bad players. And that really hasn't been the case so far. No, it's. I do think, and I guess that's what people want, right? We thought last year, after super teams in 2019 with LSU and 2020 with Alabama, we thought last year there was an opportunity 
because of the best teams were starting young quarterbacks. And we saw Michigan and Cincinnati step up. We saw Georgia emerge in that top pack. Um, we we did see, I think, the rest of the sport sort of take advantage of their chances when maybe those three teams that we talked about weren't because a year ago when we talked about the three teams, it was Alabama, Clemson and Ohio State. Only one of those three teams made the playoff last year in Alabama had to fight to get there. This is what we want. I think, right? People do that, right? Pe- what people want more than anything else is Georgia to struggle with Kent State. Is that where, what dreams are made of? That USC has to drive in the final five minutes to beat Oregon State. That Clemson goes to double overtime against Wake Forest. I think that's what people want. And the hard thing about it is, and and we can maybe transition here and we can talk about the team we're going to kick out this week because what we do on the College Football Survivor Show, you guys know it. We have these teams that we have part of our playoff discussion and each week we have to kick out at least one team. And then we decide if we're going to add teams or not. This week, we're going to kick out either Oklahoma or Baylor. And Oklahoma is on the chopping block, block potentially because of a loss to Kansas State the week after Kansas State lost to Tulane. So to me, there's almost frustration. I don't know if we want to do 12 minutes on Kansas State. Like Kansas State, it was right there for the taking. They were a dark horse, right? You were on it, a dark horse, Big 12 possible champion. You know, the Tulane loss doesn't affect that. But if Kansas State hadn't lost to Tulane, Kansas State would be in our playoff conversation right now after a win over Oklahoma. But is that what people want? A team that can lose to Tulane one week and beat Oklahoma the next. It's confusing. It's hard when you're trying to rank teams. But for an individual three and a half hours on a Saturday, juicy, is it not? Most definitely. And it's so funny, right? Because there are multiple teams who have this sort of situation going on. Where like Kansas State's last three games, and I believe their three games against FBS opponents are beating Missouri 40 to 12 in a game that was actually 40 to 6 and then Missouri literally scored as time expired because god knows what reason uh and then beating Oklahoma in a game that they were leading by two touchdowns until the last 30 seconds of the game and then losing to Tulane like what do I do with that what do I do with that information when I'm trying to rank this team because for me uh, you know, I, I moved uh, Kansas State quite a bit up in my rankings I can't remember exactly where I had them but like I was kind of okay with mostly ignoring the Tulane game and saying, wow, that's just kind of something that happened. And like, maybe they were prepping a little bit too much for Oklahoma and didn't take this game seriously. Like, I'm curious from your perspective too. I mean, there are teams that are very good teams who then lose to very bad teams. I feel like for myself, I tend to penalize teams more for losing games against peers than losing games that are kind of like, oh, you just didn't have it this week. You know what I mean? Like, there's no question that Kansas State is a better team than Tulane. But how do you view that in the context of a season or a resume? Now, now I think, look, when you lose to Tulane, I mean, we got to get up to, you know, 10 and one before we're going to be able to say Kansas state should be in the playoff discussion. Like that, that's the tough part. I think that that's the conversation we're having, but even when you're trying to rank them relative to other teams, how do you treat it? Yeah. I do think it's different. If you're trying to be a playoff team, it's hard to let that slide because a big component of a playoff resume is consistency. 
week to week and the grind of the season and the physical toll. And so it's hard to let it slide. If you're trying to decide who should be eighth and who should be 11th or who should be 13th and who should be 17th, I think it is easier to let a blip be a blip and say that's not representative of who they really are. And you can more look at what a team's best is and ignore the pothole. But that's the point of like, I mean, because we've been dinging Bama for, I mean, we're, we're dinging a lot of like the playoff conversation teams for almost losing. Like we're going to have to figure out what does it mean that USC almost lost to Oregon State and Clemson almost lost to Wake Forest. And Ohio State was dinged early for being in a game in the fourth quarter with Notre Dame. So those teams, the almost is a negative for them. So then if you're trying to if you're trying to put Kansas State in that discussion, it's like that's not an almost there. They actually lost to Tulane. So it I think it depends what the conversation is, but it's one of those things. That kind of, and I don't even know if, if chaos is the right word because it's not chaos. It's almost like that's an expected part of what college football is. But when you're trying to account for that, it makes it hard for rankings. It makes it hard for comparisons. It makes it hard. We just did a whole podcast. If you guys want to be an Apple Podcast subscriber and get those four bonus episodes per month for $2.99, you can go to Apple Podcasts and sign up there. You you pay two ninety nine a month, you get you get us four more times. We did a whole thing about your experience with the mock playoff committee last week. Like, how would you in the room? Right, it, it's a great Saturday. It's a tough Tuesday having a, a conversation about how to rank Kansas State. But I guess the sport should. That's the thing. This is our fault. It's a playoff show. We talk about the playoff year round. We wind up talking about Tuesdays a lot. It's actually not a Tuesday sport. It's a Saturday sport and great Saturdays, great, exciting, exciting, unexpected Saturdays can make for mind numbing, pull your hair out, bang your head against the wall Tuesdays, which I guess is good. And I guess is the point, but I'm not sure there's any right answer to that. You can talk yourself into a circle of do you ignore Tulane or do you absolutely drag a team down for a loss to Tulane? Well, and I think that. Again, if they're 12 and one and they've beaten Oklahoma and Baylor and Oklahoma State and one of those teams a second time in the Big 12 championship game, then like you kind of just, I think, wave that off. Right. Like, I think that at that point you can wave it off, but you can't wave it off because they played one good game. You know, you can't wave it off because they beat Oklahoma. A, a really good win, by the way. They went on the road, by the way. This game was in Norman, uh, Kansas State in their hype video. <laughs> posted that they posted after the game uh they caught an oklahoma fan while the players were coming out of the tunnel saying uh lincoln's not here to give it away y'all and while well, like before wow. the game and then they go out and get beat uh and then somebody in the mentions says well honestly if lincoln was here it probably would have been even worse which is just a tremendous cell phone that, hey, this was actually best case scenario to lose uh, really badly against Kansas State. <laughs> our new coach loses better than our old coach. To the same team that they've lost three or four times. Yeah, it's it's something. I mean, obviously, we're going to, I'm sure, get into an Oklahoma discussion very soon. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's it says a lot about Kansas State. This is the Kansas State I expected to see this year. A lot of structured run game, a lot of uh, passing off of zone action, stuff like that. 
I mean, just just make the game easy, right? Like, do things well that you know that you can do well. And Colin Klein's the offensive coordinator over there. I think that this felt like a very Colin Klein game for for Adrian Martinez in the best of ways. And, uh, I mean, this is, I think, the kind of potential that they have. I don't know if they have... I don't know if they have the juice to go through Big 12 play undefeated. And that's why, for me, it's still going to be tough to, at this point, put them in the playoff conversation with a loss to Tulane. But... They're right there in the Big 12 title race. Yeah, it's interesting. Like Penn State was a little bit like this in 16. They lost to Pitt in the non-conference and then lost one conference game to Michigan, but beat Ohio State, looked really good at the end of the year and were a two-loss Big Ten champ. But they had that weird non-conference loss that when you add it to a conference loss, was kind of hanging around. They just lost they lost the wiggle room and they wound up being fifth in the playoff rankings, right? Like if Kansas state, if you're, if you're 12 and one, maybe you can shake it off as you said, but like you're kind of out of room for the playoff discussion. And I do think there's almost like a forgiveness threshold of greatness that if you are truly great, nobody forgives you for anything. Now people might like, Oh, well, you know, when Alabama loses to Ole Miss, they just say, well, the sec is tough and it, that's how it works. But Again, we're talking about what's wrong with Alabama because they almost lost to Texas. When you're that step below, there's almost an expectation of, I don't know if you can do it all 12. So you might have a couple goofy results, but what's your peak? When you are when you peak against the good teams, against the established programs, what do you look like? And I do think that's a fair conversation to have around Kansas State, but I'm almost still, I said, okay, I'm almost mad at them. Like, what are we doing? Like, I want to talk about <laughs> yeah. you, but- we can't talk about a team that lost to Tulane right now. We can talk about Oklahoma. The choice this week for our Twitter followers at CFB Survivor Show, if you want input on who should be kicked out and who should be let into the playoff discussion, the two teams we put up to kick out this week, Baylor with that lingering loss to BYU and Oklahoma coming off the Kansas State loss. This is going to happen most of the time, Shahan. If there's somebody that lost right then, they're going to get more of the vote, 71% vote to kick out Oklahoma, 29% vote to kick out Baylor. Again, when you talk about path, the fact that Baylor's loss is non-conference and Oklahoma's loss is in the conference, I do think is is a deciding factor there. I also would kick out Oklahoma instead of Baylor. Do you agree with kicking out Oklahoma? I mean, the thing that you have to say about Oklahoma, too, is that after losing pretty decisively to Kansas State at home, they have nothing of value on their resume. Like they, I, I dropped them actually in my 131 all the way to 23. Cause like, what do they have? What are they, what are they talking about? Right? Like, you know, they looked really good against some teams that look extremely bad. That Nebraska loss, I, I sorry, that Nebraska win, uh, looks less and less impressive as they continue to play football games. Like they've got nothing to kind of hang their hat on. Whereas, you know, Baylor, again, it's a double overtime loss on the road as opposed to a nearly two score loss at home. And uh, they go on the road and beat a pretty good Iowa State team decisively last week. So I don't think that there's any conversation. I think that's clearly Oklahoma. So we did not have Oklahoma in our initial group of teams to consider at the start of the season. We did put them in after week one. Were we right? I mean, like, were we had some trepidation about these guys and they came out and looked good early. It was like, OK, we get it. They got a transfer quarterback. Jeff Levy's a good offensive coordinator. Brent Venables is going to get the defensive together. They still do have some talent there. But I guess I guess we were right. I mean, that we we were slow to come around on them. And then this was why. Yeah, I I think that for me, you know, I I saw somebody, I think, make the point that, oh, well, this 
this loss showed how much of Oklahoma is still Lincoln Riley's roster with the way that they played that game and lost. And my answer is 40% of the roster is transfers or, or new players. Like, it is not the same roster as it was before, but also this is not a roster that's ever played together. This is not a roster that deserves sort of that benefit of the doubt that, hey, well, the floor is 11 and two, like it was under Lincoln Riley, but maybe it can be better. That, that was a silly way to think of Oklahoma to me, just because again, you've got a new offensive coordinator, a new head coach, a new defensive system, uh, a lot of new players who are expected to be contributors for you. Uh, and, and by the way, lost the vast majority of your best players from the 2021 team to either the NFL or transfer portal. So like it was just a lot of ifs and that's not a knock against what Brent Venables or Oklahoma is doing. I just don't think that they deserve or really any program deserves that level of credibility when so much has changed. I I had the same uh, thought about Notre Dame, right? We didn't have Notre Dame in our preseason rankings and they had an internal promotion and kept most of their staff. So for me, it was that was always the the calculus. Again, that doesn't mean that by the end of the year, Oklahoma can't be the best team in the Big 12 or even win the Big 12, but they don't deserve implicit credibility just because they were really good for a long time under a completely different staff and system. Yeah, there there was a lot of jersey name tied to, I think, preseason optimism. It's just it's a complete transformation of a program. And it doesn't mean that Brent Venables isn't gonna be a good head coach down the line, but you know, this it doesn't make me second guess it, but I mean, I'm on alert. A little bit of this is tied to USC. Just when you have you have a coach you think is going to be good, but the team is is so reliant on transfers and is so new and is so new to each other, I think you have to have some trepidation. So Oklahoma, you are out. And you have seen the theory of the Nebraska curse. Have you seen the Nebraska curse theory? I have not seen the Nebraska. So curse I saw this on Twitter somewhere. It's like, what's the, there's like a, the, the video. There's like the movie where like, if you touch the videotape, the little girl comes out of the TV and eats your face or something. I don't know. Is that a thing? That's like a, there's like a, a cursed VHS tape. What's a VHS? Exactly. So, uh, <laughs> so the cursed, the cursed VHS tape in this situation is Nebraska. That if you beat Nebraska, then you are cursed because Northwestern beat Nebraska to the open the season. And you thought, oh, maybe maybe Northwestern, hey, they might be. And Northwestern since then has lost to Duke, Southern Illinois and Miami of Ohio. They have not won since Georgia Southern beat Nebraska and the next week lost to UAB. And then Oklahoma beat Nebraska and the next week lost to Kansas State. So this is the Scott Frost. I'm going to crawl through the TV. I don't know if she eats your face. I don't know. She I don't know. Does she stab you with something? I don't know what she does. Does she curse you? I don't know. But Scott Frost, you do you watch horror movies? Are you a horror movie person? No, I'm, I'm not a horror. movie. No, person. I'm not at all, because I don't want to be I'm, I'm I don't want to be scared. Why do I want nightmares? Yeah, the world is scary enough. Yeah. Real life is scary. I like reading. Have we just? I like reading Wikipedia entries of horror movies because I'm curious. Like, I do that too. <laughs> I like, do that too. Is it a clever written twist? But I don't want to watch a girl crawl out of a TV and give me nightmares. But like, oh, that's clever writing. I appreciate your idea. Right? Uh, that, that's fun. So I don't want to watch it. I, I guess, but maybe Scott Frost is going to be. Maybe don't like don't beat Nebraska. That would be a great. I actually, and, and I will mention, by the way, uh, the one team that Nebraska beat, University of North Dakota, 
they went on to win their next two games. What not that a great, that would be a great pitch. Like, I mean, I guess you guys are more talented than us, but we would suggest don't beat us. Oh, revenge will be achieved. I I do have, I do have one more uh, point slash question on Oklahoma. And I was very curious with Jeff Lebby coming back to the the conference, back to the Big Twelve, because you know Jeff Lebby was an assistant on that Baylor team. You know what that played the that had the dynamic sort of offenses, but like the Big Twelve is kind of built to stop that at this point. Like the entire conference, I was very curious because then you have Dylan Gabriel coming in and at UCF uh, where he had a lot of success, a lot of his game was hey, I'm going to either throw screens or take deep shots, and that's how we're going to run our passing game. And, like, again, the Big 12, top to bottom, is built to stop that. Like, the entire conference, Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, uh, West Virginia, can't like, everybody is built to stop that. And you saw the first time that they played against a Big 12 team, all of a sudden, all these good ideas in the passing game kind of didn't look like good ideas anymore now they're still going to be explosive right they had touchdowns to 56 and 50 yards but it was just the down to down consistency wasn't close to there and i'm curious now going up against a conference that has basically been defending air raid spread uh veer and shoot type concepts for 20 years at this point if they're not going to be taken aback by it the same way that either the american with ucf or by the way even the sec with Ole miss was it's the idea that the Big 12 has morphed from a team where nobody played defense to a to a, a league where everybody plays defense or everybody I mean because they learned they learned the offenses were so good they learned eventually how to deal with them and now we're seeing the flip side of that so it is in the end and Lincoln Riley I mean Brett Venables replacing Lincoln Riley is like the final domino in that total transformation of that league but one of the things that people liked is like well they also got a good offensive coordinator who's done this before but Maybe that's the deal. But you have to let I mean, you have to let Brent Venables get his guys in his defense for a year or two. So we're just not going to see the full Brent Venables effect in year one. So Oklahoma is out and I don't I don't know if they'll be back. The Big 12 is going to be messy, but I think we'll end up talking maybe about some other Big 12 teams and not Oklahoma. Quick break. When we come back, we got to let we don't have to, but we might let somebody into the playoff discussion next in the College Football Survivor Show. Don't miss the College Football Survivor Show bonus episode this week. Available only on Apple Podcasts. Of course all these people approach things pretty differently. Of course there's disagreements and discrepancies in the room. And of course, here's some logic that applied to these two teams that doesn't apply to these two teams. But the point is that... There are people in the room who disagree, who really can't be swayed one way or another. And I get to tell EJ Manuel and Deuce McAllister to their faces that actually their way of looking at football is wrong. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So we are going to get to our rankings at the end of the show. We're going to spend some good time on that because we want to go through, like, is everybody vulnerable? It feels like there's, maybe there's not a super team that there has been 
at times, maybe each of the last previous three years you could claim there was. We just did last week is Georgia better than than last year's Georgia. And then all of a sudden they're messing around with Kent State. And so it's like maybe everybody just has a little bit of a vulnerability this year. But we got to think about letting some people in. And, and the candidates this week, Shahan, to add to the discussion, I only gave two because – we do have some games this week um, where we're going to get a sense of some other programs. Ole Miss-Kentucky is this week, and I think the winner of that game, that's an undefeated matchup, the winner of that game very well may be let in a week from now. Oklahoma State plays Baylor this week, is that right? Yes, yes. Okay, so we maybe should have Oklahoma State already in this conversation, but if they beat Baylor, certainly I think they'll be the Big 12 team that we start talking about more. Should we already have them in? I don't think so. I mean, their schedule so far has not been impressive. Uh, you know, Central Michigan, they they beat decisively. The score is not as... I, I mean, the Central Michigan scored 22 points on third stringers in the fourth quarter to make it look like it was a close game. It wasn't. But like Arizona State was only a 17-point win. They, they haven't done anything as yet. They haven't played a real Power 5 team to this point. So I think this is their chance to get in. Although, obviously, I think they deserve to be high in the rankings, but... I don't think that they need to be part of the discussion as yet. And then again, we've been sort of eyeing this uh, North Carolina State Clemson game. North Carolina State's undefeated. They're 4-0, but we kicked them out after they almost lost to East Carolina. Uh, They won that game 21-20 because East Carolina missed some kicks. Since then, more convincing, including a pretty good win against Texas Tech. Um, You know, we don't need to put North Carolina State back in because they beat Texas Tech and whoever they played last week. But this is their chance. We'll talk about that more, I think, when we talk about Clemson. But North Carolina State certainly is another team that has a chance to get back in the playoff mix if they if they win on Saturday. Definitely. And I think that they match up pretty well with this Clemson team. Um, you know, obviously they beat them last year in overtime. So it's really going to, I think, depend on what we see from quarterback Devin Leary this week, you know, because Clemson's pass defense has been pretty suspect whenever they can't get all the way to the quarterback. So it's going to be, I think, a really good test for NC State, and they definitely have a chance to win that game. All right, so the two teams that we put up to our Twitter followers, again, CFB Survivor Show, if you want to have a chance to vote on this stuff. 4-0 Washington, who we did talk about last week, we did not put in after they beat Michigan State. They followed that up with a win, uh, win against Stanford on Saturday. Now 4-0. Last week, we did put in Penn State. Washington's getting their man. Michael Penix is, is leading the nation in passing yards per game, Had has been over 300, yard pass, uh, 300 yards passing in each game. The Twitter followers who are just notoriously difficult, Shahan, it is hard to get them over 50% yes. They're 26% no, 70, uh, excuse me, 26% yes, 74% no on Washington. Where are you on Washington? Is it time to let them in yet? Because they, I don't, they play UCLA this week, I think, right? UCLA yeah. is also undefeated at 4-0, but I just don't know. They might not have a chance to impress us until like November based on a, a win against a really good team. Yeah, they're they're a tough one. The one thing that I'll say about them is that their win over Michigan State, which was, again, a lot more impressive than even 39-28, suddenly looks a whole lot worse after Minnesota just absolutely (laughs) dog-walked Michigan State. Uh, The NF Tuck market is flying down right now, uh, but... You know, it's tough. Like you said, they've played four games so far. They've won each of them super decisively. Stanford this past week, they beat by 18 points. Like, that's pretty impressive. I, what do you think? I'm, I'm definitely on the fence. 
I'm on the fence too, and it's one of those Minnesota's four now, and I think Minnesota might say, well, if you're putting in Washington, why aren't you putting in us? So although UCLA, I don't think is very good, they are undefeated. I think Washington's schedule is very backloaded, right? They play the two Oregon teams in November. They play Washington State at the end of the year. That's when we're really fun. I don't think we have to wait until November, but it might just be accumulating wins against okay teams because Minnesota might be doing the same. And Michael Penix has been really impressive, but so have Tanner Morgan and Mo Ibrahim for Minnesota. So I think I think there are fairly similar situations there, and they don't have to necessarily be in lockstep, but I guess I'm still hold off on Washington for now, but monitor very closely. I think if they go, because by the way, all four of their games to this point have been at home. I think that if they go on the road to obviously the terrifying uh, road environment that is UCLA and uh, and go and, and pull off a win. But seriously, if they go on the road, if they show that they can travel and win in a place that's not Husky Stadium, uh, and if they do it again by double figures on the road, I think that that's going to be enough for me. Because there, there's nothing more that they can, like, they're going to play Arizona State, Arizona Cal after that, and then we're into November. So I think that if they can beat UCLA pretty convincingly, like by more than 10 points, I think we should let them in next week. But I wish that that Michigan State win didn't age so poorly after just one week. Yeah. Okay. So Washington, not in yet. Um, Again, we are only down to nine teams right now as it stands because we just kicked out Oklahoma and we haven't added somebody yet. Do we want to add Tennessee? Tennessee is 4-0. Uh, a, a good a good win, an overtime win over a, over a pretty solid pit team in week two. Blowouts of Ball State and Akron and then beat Florida last week. Florida's leaking a little bit, but Florida does have that win over Utah. You know, the peak of Florida is still pretty good. It, again, this is hard. It's like, well, how do you evaluate Tennessee? Well, how do you evaluate Florida? Do you evaluate the best of Florida? Do you evaluate the worst of Florida? You know. Utah was a team that people had in the playoff and Florida beat them to open the year. So that has to be viewed. Beating Florida is a good win for Tennessee. Beating Pitt is a good win for Tennessee. And I don't know, maybe I just didn't realize it. Is Hendon Hooker leading the Heisman race right now? The hypothetical. There are people who are acting like it because Tennessee is in the top 10 of the polls. Jalen Daniels is right there. He's right there. Kansas, Kansas quarterback, (laughs) Jalen Daniels. I just sort of thought that it probably was CJ Stroud from Ohio state. No. Okay. Definitely not CJ Stroud. Definitely not CJ Stroud. Who is, who's leading the Heisman race right now? <laughs> Definitely not. Sixteen touchdowns, one interception. CJ Stroud without his best receiver beat somebody. Uh, but no, I, I think Wisconsin and Notre Dame—they're like two of the twelve best programs in the country. They're like two of the like probably fifty best teams on my CBS one thirty one right now. But no, no, no. I that that's actually a very good question. We maybe should have like our super early Heisman discussion at some point. That uh, maybe next week because it's just like. It is wide open right now, I think. No, I mean, I, I do think – here's my thing with Tennessee, because I think that this actually ties into the the hypothetical Hendon Hooker to Heisman discussion. So Tennessee runs a system that I think has a ceiling, right? Like, I think that they do things that probably can't actually compete with the best teams in the country against Alabama, against Georgia, against Ohio State. But, like, at the same time, they keep doing it. Right. Like, like I have this preconceived notion of what that system can, can and can't accomplish. 
and I still think it's probably correct, but like they've got two good wins. They went on the road and beat Pitts, uh, and and then they beat Florida. The final score was thirty eight to thirty three. That game was thirty eight to twenty one until five minutes left in the game. Like that was not a close ball game. They went and dominated Florida. So, like, you know, I mean, that was enough to get Kentucky up to number seven in the country, right? Like, I, I it's just going and beating Florida. So, like, I, I don't know. Maybe I, I think that maybe I need to put aside my preconceived notions of what Tennessee can be and what they can accomplish and respect what they are accomplishing. And the other thing, too, that I think maybe helps them out just a little bit is the fact that Georgia looked a little vulnerable. Like, cause, cause if the path is, well, you just have to beat Georgia to, to win the SEC East and that's the path, you know, before last week, I would have said, I don't know about all that, you know, but maybe there's an opportunity. Maybe there's a chance. I don't think it's an amazing chance, but like, I don't think it's nothing either. So I do think that Tennessee deserves to be part of our discussion. So year two of Josh Heupel, they, they had, you know, this, Season sort of started with the off-field remnants of the Jeremy Pruitt era coming back to them. But they have – it seems like a competent coach who has settled things. And I do think this is for Nebraska and what Miami hopes to do and anybody out there who is a program with tradition who's been down. Like this is – Tennessee's in the top 10. Tennessee has been a mess for a decade and they're back in the top 10. It it doesn't have to take very long to do this. So coach and quarterback is a pretty good place to start. Whether Hendon Hooker is leading the Heisman conversation or not, he's a really good quarterback. He's a dangerous quarterback who gives you a chance against teams like Georgia, would give you a chance against a team like Alabama. They're off this week. Then they get LSU and Alabama. I do think we should probably talk, if Tennessee beats LSU, we should be talking about Tennessee before they play Alabama. We can't put Tennessee on the threshold of like, well, beat Bama, and then maybe you'll learn a conversation. <laughs> right, right, right. So do we, and they're not going to play this week. So do we just want to do it now? The texter, the Twitter followers say no. But if you're good, I'm good. I, I, I'm good. Let's put them in. Again, it might be it might be short lived. We don't know if they get destroyed by Alabama, then they'll be out. But if they, the thing is, I, I think that they've done enough to this point that if they lose really close against Alabama, like they probably still deserve to be in, right? Like they they probably still deserve to at least be part of the conversation. Well, this, and this is the hard part of it is you're one of the teams in the country that plays Alabama and Georgia, and if you lose both, you're out. Like, you're not going to be in as two loss. We beat everybody who wasn't Georgia and Alabama is not good enough. So you have to beat at least one of them. And then you probably have to go to the SEC title game and then beat Bama again, potentially, or beat. So it's it is a like road. This is one of the things like where it's great to be in the SEC. But if you're not Georgia, or Alabama, like, is it great to be in the SEC? Because if Tennessee was in the Big 12, Tennessee probably might be the Big 12 favorite right now. We'd be talking about, well, you know, we think they're better than Oklahoma State and well, they can do this. I don't know. We, Baylor. we just had a conversation about how the whole Big 12 is built to stop what Tennessee does uh, under Josh Eiffel. No, but but I I, I do. They, they probably in terms of like actual quality, you know, matchups aside would be 
the the best team right now in the Big Twelve, and and maybe the best team in the Pac twelve right now, maybe the best team in the ACC, right? Totally. I mean, hell, and, and they'd probably be number two right now in the Big Ten with a legitimate shot to to you know compete for the for the playoffs. So like, it's tough, right? Like this is this is the thing. Do you just close off the SEC? outside of Alabama or Georgia from ever being in the discussion. Cause that's where we're at right now is there, there are two teams that are way more dumb. Do you just close it on everybody else? And actually, I think this is actually kind of an interesting question too, existentially about the PAC 12 and big 12 too. It's like both of those conferences are super competitive with a lot of really, really, really good teams. And like, the Big 12 is probably going... I, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if in the next couple of weeks we have zero Big 12 teams, even if we have five Big 12 teams that are in, like, the top 17 because it's just kind of the way that things work, right? Because you need to be one of four. It's tough. But they're out of the playoff race. They're out of the playoff race because they've beaten up on each other. Yeah, so let's put Tennessee in. That'll get us back to 10. Oklahoma out, traditional power. Tennessee in, traditional power. And... Then if they don't beat Bama, then we can decide if we if we boot them or not, or maybe a good loss. But it's it's just a it's a tough road. But we had that discussion at the beginning of the year, Shahan, early in the preseason. Who's the third best team in the SEC? And maybe the answer is it doesn't matter because if you're the third best team in the SEC, you're not in the playoff conversation. So who cares? So you know, until in until you get Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson all together. Prove that I don't. Th- I don't think anyone thinks Tennessee is that. So that's the threshold to to punch through at this point. So that is a tough world to live in when you have both Georgia and Alabama on your schedule, and that's the world they're in right and, now. And I, I will say, right, one thing that's very important to note is that when we have teams in the playoff discussion, this is not a pure ranking. This is not our AP Top 25 ballot. Kentucky right now is number seven in the AP Top 25. I don't have them in because I think that the way that they play football and the way that they compete isn't necessarily something that's conducive to making the playoff just because you have to beat some of the teams that you have to beat. You know, uh, Notre Dame, right? I had preseason number five or six on my ballot and I didn't want them in the discussion because I thought that their path was too hard. So this is in Oklahoma State right now. Clear top 10 team. We've got 10 teams in our playoff conversation and teams that are ranked behind Oklahoma State deservedly uh, in the conversation, right? So this is not a pure ranking. This is not trying to find the 10 best teams in America right this second. This is about specifically trying to find the teams that can compete for the college football playoff, and the criteria is just different. All right, we come back. We're going to rank them. We're going to talk about a bunch of those teams. Who's vulnerable? Who's maybe looking at a loss looming? We'll do it next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Doug Maurice and Shahan J. Haraja. So we have 10 teams in our mix right now. Eight of them are undefeated. It's uh, Alabama and Georgia in the SEC, Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State in the Big Ten, Clemson in the ACC, Tennessee also now in the SEC, and USC in the Pac-12. So those are the eight undefeated teams, and then Baylor and Utah remain in with the loss because we still can see the path there because both their losses were non-conference, which doesn't ding you as much because you still have a chance to a path to be the conference champ at 12 and one with that conference championship game win. And and that has a very good chance to get you in. So let's start at the top again. I still have Georgia number one, but it is not as strong as it was 
last week when we said, is Georgia even better than a year ago? A year ago, they're kind of low-level non-conference games because they they last year they played Clemson. This year they played Oregon to open the year. They always finish with Georgia Tech, so that's their second non-conference game. Last year they played UAB in week two, and they played Charleston Southern um, in their 11th game of the year, and they won both of those games by the score, same score of 56-7. to seven. So they they dominated in against their worst two opponents, Shahan, this year, 33-0 over Samford. But then week four, 39-22, Kent State. This is a discussion we had with the, the Kansas State loss to Tulane. Do you kind of just throw it out? This isn't a loss, but should we just be throwing it out? Or does it throw up, not red flags, but does it pull us back from Georgia is on a tier by itself, back toward Georgia leads? This pack of teams, because if you're letting Kent State hang around, how good are you really? Or do we chuck it? What do we think? Yeah, I I do think that this makes the top tier go from one to two. Now that can change. But, you know, I kind of dinged Ohio State for letting a Notre Dame team that I don't think is very good and and didn't think at the time was very good uh, for letting them hang around well into the fourth quarter, right? Uh, A game that was very competitive that I didn't think should be. Well, you know, now you've got Georgia doing that as well uh, against the Kent State team that really shouldn't have been able to stick around against a team like Georgia. Uh, They needed a late touchdown to kind of really put this away. And that, again, should not be the case when you're Georgia. Uh, by the way, rip to the Stetson Bennett Heisman conversation. Good morning to the Brock Bowers Heisman conversation. My goodness, yeah. Because- I, I thought we would have to wait till 2023 to have a tight end. Co- but they just keep they just keep running jet sweeps to the tight end, and it just changes the game. It just changes the game. He led the team. By the way, Georgia, the team that runs the ball, he led them in rushing yards with two carries for two touchdowns and 77 yards. Like, what the damn hell? Like, that's not normal. Also added 60 receiving yards. It's just unbelievable stuff. Uh, Yeah, I I mean, it's crazy. He's not a tight end. He's not really a a tight end. I I don't know anymore that the conversation around Brock Bowers is any different than the conversation around Devontae Smith in 2020. He is is your go-to guy. Uh, that that powers your offense. He's rare. There aren't other people like him. No matter how much a team covers him, he's able to get open and his team is able to get him the ball. And when he gets the ball, he does dynamic things. I don't even know if the word tight end should be in the conversation with Brock Bowers. The thing that's interesting, though, because because, you know, we had a conversation in our work slack about it. you know, who's better, whatever, like, like between, between Brock Bowers and Kyle Pitts, who played back at Florida a couple years ago. And the thing is, right, like Kyle Pitts was a pure, like Kyle Pitts was a wide receiver, right? Like he was a wide receiver who sometimes played slightly in line. Like Brock Bowers does tight end stuff, right? Like he blocks, he comes around the edge, they move him all the way around. Like, he is a true tight end in the way that, uh, that he performs. They then just like, hand him the ball sometimes you know and so it's like it's crazy because it, because you know it's one thing right like uh, the, the comparison that i made is you know kyle pitts is like uh you know antonio gates right it, like he is somebody who goes out there kind of plays receiver out of that spot and like brock bowers is kind of more just george kittle right does all of the tight end stuff and then also is one of the best receivers on the planet so it's impressive 
you know, again, I, I think we do need to have a, a Heisman conversation just because it's so early and there's really so little known at this point. But um, but Brock Bowers doing uh, doing well for himself. And and I think that George is number one. I will say, though, like I said, I think Ohio State at number two is entering the same tier at this point. So in the AP poll, Ohio State remains third, barely behind Alabama. I think they're four points behind. I think the discussion clearly, it's not Ohio State-Bama with Georgia ahead of both. It's Ohio State-Georgia with Bama behind both. I don't I don't know why the voters are slow to that other than voters are dumb. We don't care what the AP voters do. But I agree with you. The way that Ohio State took care of business against Wisconsin, and again, there's the rankings, right? Wisconsin also lost to Washington State. Wisconsin's not ranked. But is Wisconsin a competent team with good players and a good program that if you beat them convincingly, that's a good win. Yes, of course it is, right? Whether they're 31st or 19th or whatever, they're not going to go four and eight, right? That's going to be a good win. And Ohio State, Wisconsin didn't even belong on the same field with them. And it answered the question that I had been asking on this podcast and my other podcast. What if Graham Mertz is good? Well, he's not. (laughs) So... I'm glad I asked it 16 <laughs> times this offseason because he came out and looked like every other Wisconsin quarterback. I thought their plan was awful. They didn't adjust. They didn't try anything different. They were still running the ball on first and second down, down 28 nothing. I am kind of out on Paul Christ. If they just, they've just put a ceiling on themselves and they're not even hitting the old Wisconsin ceiling anymore. So very disappointed in sort of the effort that Wisconsin put forth. But that's also... Ohio State, without Jackson Smith and Jigba again, high-level passing. They had 250 rushing, 250 throwing it. The defense is playing at a very high level. I don't think we're going to have a super team this year. 2019 LSU, 2020 Alabama were both super teams. Georgia was at least half a super team last year with that defense, and the defense was so dominant. Once the offense was okay, maybe it dragged them to super team status. It feels like we maybe won't have one this year, but maybe if we do, the best candidate is Ohio State because they had the best offense of the country statistically last year and probably by talent also. That remains, and the defense kind of feels fixed with Jim Knowles, and if that's the case, they don't have to have one of the five or ten best defenses in the country, but as long as the defense is good and not holding them back, and I think so far that certainly has been the case, This offense is once again high-powered. The offensive line is playing really well. They might have the highest ceiling. And again, a week ago, we thought, oh, Georgia's even better than last year. But God, Kent State, standing up for Ohio, man. Kent State was like, we think Ohio State should be viewed as the best team in the country. We're going to go down and hang around in Athens. So that we that's a pretty big flip by us in a week, if, if, if you agree with that at all. But we have to go by what Saturdays tell us. And Saturday was really good for Ohio State, not as good for Georgia. Yeah, and and I've been very clear. I am more than happy to be extremely reactionary through the first couple weeks of the season, right? Like, I, coming into the year, thought that Alabama was not just the best team in the country, but, like, was by a good margin the best team in the country. But they haven't done anything that shows that to this point. And so if that's the case, I'm more than happy to drop them. And I think I think it's silly, right? Like Alabama right now is number two in the polls because Alabama was number one in the polls to start the year. That's it. Like there's no other reason. They haven't done anything 
that's impressive enough to prove that they should be that. Now, they can do that this week. They're playing Arkansas, who's a really good team this week. And if they play really well against them, then, you know, we can have a discussion. But right now, their best win is beating Texas by one. That, that That's not that exciting, right? Like, that's not... That that's not number two in the country worthy. I don't understand uh, why people aren't willing to have this. And you know, I, I mean, again, I I'll go ahead and and jump to this. Like, I have Alabama five in in my rankings right now because okay, it's, it's I have resume. Bama three. Let's yeah. let's jump to Bama. I have Bama three back to three because I think I believe everybody's vulnerable. So we're now in the vulnerable tier. That if Georgia and, and Ohio State have both had games where they haven't been dominant. But I don't know that I would use the word vulnerable for that. Even Notre Dame, right? That Notre Dame, the Notre Dame game, Ohio State had to drive in the fourth quarter to ice the game, not to win the game. USC had to drive in the fourth quarter to win the game against Oregon State, right? So that's the difference there that Ohio State wasn't dominant, but they weren't they weren't like on the edge of losing as almost every other team, almost every other team that we would we're gonna talk about has been. So in that world. Bryce Young, Will Anderson, I just put Bama third because they're all in the same boat to me and then Bama has better talent. But you have them fifth. So who do you have third? Again, so I like I said, I am more than willing to be reactionary and I'm more than willing to evaluate based on what you've done and not just what I expected from you. So right now, I have Tennessee third. Wow. Okay, that is very... I still have Tennessee 10th because I didn't know what to do with them. So I'm not going to... We already talked about Tennessee. I'm glad we put them in. If you have them third, my God. <laughs> okay. Like I that. said, you know, whenever we're having this conversation, like the teams that deserve to be in are not a pure ranking, right? Oklahoma State is a top 10 team. Kentucky is a top 10 team. But like to me, when we're putting together these rankings, I want to judge you on what you've done. I don't want to judge you on what I expect. And at this point, Tennessee has a road win over Pitt, who's a top 30-ish team. They have a home win that was pretty dominant and and much more dominant than the score over Florida, another top 30 team. And how many other teams in the country can say that they have two wins over top 30 to 35 teams? It's not fake. It's not it's not smoke and mirrors with what Tennessee's doing. Right. So and and don't get me wrong. I this is not my expectation of where they're going to be. But like I'm judging them on what they've done. I think that that for me, this ranking, I treat as more reactionary. I treat it as more resume and and that sort of thing. And right now, if the season ended, I think that Tennessee probably has the third best resume in the country. All right. So then I'm curious to see who you have fourth, because I have a team fourth that I think fits that what you're talking about a little bit. Who do you have fourth? I have USC fourth. Uh, okay. Yeah. They they showed some real vulnerability last week, of course. Uh, real, real, real vulnerability. But first road game, uh, a road win over a team that I have in my top 35 in Oregon State. I, I think maybe even top 30. Add that to a game over Fresno State. Actually, I believe that I have uh, Oregon State 27 and Fresno State 33. So I'm pretty high on both of those teams, which other people might not be. But, you know, to me, I, I think that USC, again, has proven it to this point. They've showed flashes of dominance. I, I think that they've showed that at this point, I like them better than anybody else in the Pac-12. So I think that right now I'd favor them uh, in most of their games. Again, that uh, that Utah game is going to be the one exception. Um, you know, that's going to be, I think, a 50-50 game. But I think that I've seen from USC the caliber of being a top four team in the country. 
I'm very curious because if they if that's what it goes, how it goes on the road at Oregon State, then a part of me wonders, how's it going to go on the road at Utah? I think that it's the first one, though, right? Like, I think that I think that getting those jitters out and having that experience, I think, helps because, again, you know, it's the same deal. I I made this argument with with uh, Oklahoma, and I think the exact same thing is true uh, of USC. They deserve no benefit of the doubt when it comes to just assuming that they're going to be good, right? I am only judging them on what they've done to this point. And now they've played two road games, right? They went at Stanford, one by 13 points. They went at Oregon State, and they did put together that final drive to win the game, right? And so, yeah. But they had to put together that final drive. I think their first eight possessions, four punts, stopped on downs, a touchdown, a field goal, and a missed field goal. So that puts them in a position where they get the ball back in the final four or five minutes, having to drive for a touchdown to win the game. So it feels like most of the coverage, and this is interesting to me, I will just tell you, if Ohio State had to drive in the final five minutes to beat Minnesota, my reaction would not be, what a gutty win by Ohio State. My reaction would be, what are they doing? How did that happen? It feels like the reaction for USC was what a gutsy win, which maybe is just the lowering of the standards by the Clay Helton era. And they just think, oh, my God, a win at Oregon State. It's a miracle. Frankly, the difference is Ohio State's supposed to win the national championship this year. Like there are three teams that are held to a different standard and they should be. Because they are working with such massive advantages versus everybody else that, yes, Ohio State, you know, we had this conversation, right? Uh, when, when they, uh, you know, had that game against Notre Dame, I'm judging them on a, on a different level than I am Clemson or Penn State. USC wants Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia swagger and Kansas State standards. And we have to be careful that because you can't, they want to live in the mansion. They want, hey, we hired Lincoln. This isn't year five. Like my expectation for them was, hey, you should be a team that wins 10 games in year one and has a chance to either play in the Pac-12 championship game or win the Pac-12 and have a chance to make the playoff. That was my bar for them. Whereas my bar for Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State is you should expect to be in the playoff and then you should win the national championship. That's But the you bar. have them ranked ahead of Bama. You have them ra- ranked ahead of Bama. Actually, and, and this is this is, I think, a perfect example of this. Uh you said, hey, if Ohio State went on the road and needed a final drive of the game to go and beat Minnesota, nobody would be impressed. Well, Alabama in their one quality win had to do that against Texas's backup quarterback so like if you're comparing those two things right I think that USC going on the road against a I think a really good Oregon State team and and having to to put together a final drive to pull out a gutty win and you're comparing that to Alabama having to go and do that with a field goal uh, and and by the way having no other wins of the quality of Fresno State to, to add to it that makes it easy for me let me ask you this. When a team struggles, yeah. would you rather they struggle with what they're good at, with what they're supposed to be good at, or struggle with what they're not supposed to be good at? Because I will say, if this is Lincoln Riley and you're winning by scoring 17 on Oregon State, if they had to drive in the final four minutes because the Alex Grinch defense gave it up and they had to win 38-35, that would almost be more understandable to me. It's a little bit more of a red flag to me when it's a low-scoring game when it's supposed to be Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, Lincoln Riley. I mean, I think, though, that like 
if they lose that game, if they can't turn that on in the final moment, then I think that's certainly your, your concern. And like the one thing that we're going to have to keep an eye on is that Caleb Williams stats under pressure have not been good. Like his, his completion percentage drops like from like the seventies to the forties when he's like truly under pressure, right? They've done a great job of keeping him out of trouble through the first couple of games. And, and so I think that that's something to watch. But like to me, I think that, uh, I think that do you expect USC to score 17 points against Alabama or Georgia? Like, like I don't. I, I think that that's a unit that I trust had a bad week. That is a fluke as opposed to, you know, I mean, I think that I think that if you're, you know, having to go down and win the game because the thing that you're supposed to be bad at was really, really bad. That says more about what you are than how you played that day. Okay, we we're, we're going to gain some information because Oregon State and Utah play on Saturday. We're going to gain some information about Oregon State. We're going to gain some more information about Utah. We're going to talk about Utah. We have to talk about Utah has lost its best skill player for the year. So that that is a huge issue from Utah, which you have to factor in. I will say the team that I have fourth that I think has maybe looked less vulnerable than other teams here is Penn State. Now, they were played a close game on the road with Purdue early in the year, and they didn't absolutely destroy. They didn't cover against Central Michigan last week, but they were in control the whole game. It continues to be Nicholas Singleton as a five-star freshman running back is getting it done. The offensive line looks better. Sean Clifford is being a veteran quarterback. They have some good receivers, and the defense is pretty good. That's why I have Penn State as high as fourth. Like I, I just had Bama third on talent, and then looking at vulnerabilities beyond the top three, I had Penn State as sort of looking the least vulnerable so far, which is why I had them at number four. Where do you have Penn State? I have them at seven. So I, I think that you're absolutely right. They've they've put together some impressive performances. I, I think for me, I'm just not impressed with their their resume at this point because that Auburn. You think well, Auburn's Auburn. I get it, but two Power Five road wins, Purdue and Auburn. Auburn. So so I think that the Purdue uh, win is like solid. Right, like I think that Purdue just lost to Syracuse. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I think that Purdue is is a solid win, like a pretty decent solid win. It was as competitive as, as I think that it should have been. Right, like I, I don't think it's a huge deal that that Penn State needed to go and and uh, put together a drive to win that game. The Auburn win, I think, just ages worse and worse. Like I just don't think it's that good of a win. Um, I, I don't think it's anything really to, to hang your hat on. So like to me, I view Penn State. Uh, so, so I, again, I, I have, I know we're going a little out of order here. I have Penn State seven. I have Michigan six. Cause like, I think that they kind of have similar cases where like they haven't played a whole lot of people and they struggled and, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, in a game that maybe that they shouldn't have, uh, you know, Penn State with, uh, with Purdue and then Michigan, you know, kind of needing that at game. home, Michigan yeah. at home. No, with no. And, and it's totally fair. I, 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 I think that you could flip those two in and I, feel okay about it but you know i think that their cases are very similar right now where i don't necessarily know that i have enough to really evaluate them one way or another so michigan i also have sixth but we have like a lot of different teams ahead of behind them we they looked loose they had played three terrible teams and then jj mccarthy just got loose against maryland and maryland made some plays and then Maryland couldn't get over the top which is kind of what maryland does sometimes they did give him a game but michigan again they made some defensive plays when they need to. Mozzie Smith's really good. They looked certainly more vulnerable than they had when they were outscoring everybody by 50 against three terrible opponents to start. So I'm, I've am i backed off Michigan. I think I had Michigan three or four last week. Um, where do you have Clemson? I have Clemson seven. I have Clemson eight. All right. So we need to talk about Clemson because 
Here's the issue with Clemson. They play Sam Hartman last week. Sam Hartman's awesome. He throws six touchdown passes. But they play Wake Forest without three of their main guys in the secondary. Andrew Makuba, who's a really good safety, doesn't play. And they're also were missing corner Sheridan Jones and Malcolm Green. Dabo Sweeney has said he thinks all three of those guys will be back. So their young secondary got torched by a very, very good quarterback. The question you have to ask yourself is Devin Leary for NC State going to do the same thing this week? Well, if they're not missing three main guys in the secondary, maybe not. Also, though, the defensive front didn't just take care of business and say, well, we better be in Sam Hartman's face all day. And Sam Hartman did really well. Now, the other side of that is DJ Uyunglele let them hang around, kept them in the game by almost matching Sam Hartman. Our main conversation about Clemson preseason was quarterback play. We thought maybe they'd be on to Cade Klubnik by the NC State game. They clearly are not. DJ is playing much better than last year. He he kept them around and made the plays when needed a week ago. If they get their secondary guys back and DJ plays well, are we rounding into shape at all on, hmm, maybe this Clemson team will be okay? Although I was kind of disappointed with the fact that their front four didn't take over the game last week when maybe they needed them to, and they wound up winning a, a shootout in double OT. I do have to give some love to Sam Hartman, who's like one of the most fun, like pocket quarterbacks, you know, like he is just, he is crazy. He's so good at manipulating the pocket, right? Like he just steps up. He's like all the way up at the line of scrimmage, throwing bombs. Like it's crazy stuff. Like it is so much fun to watch. Like if you haven't watched Wake Forest play, but like you need to watch Wake Forest play. It's a lot of fun. I think that some of this depends on how much you think that uh, of last week's performance you think was DJ versus like Wake Forest just not being very good on the defensive side of the ball. And I feel like I lean that way. I, I just don't necessarily think they're very good. And NC State is pretty salty defensively. They, I, I think that they through four games have seven interceptions so far and they're going to play against DJ who is pretty loose with the football. That seems like a recipe for disaster for me. But like you said, I do think it's going to come down to whether Devin Leary can kind of step up and make those plays uh, against a secondary that's had some issues, even even when fully healthy at Clemson. You know, the, Clemson's defensive front is obviously really good and they've played really well against the run, but they haven't gotten after the quarterback to the level that I expected with how much talent they have coming back. Worth noting, uh, you know, two weeks ago, I, I think Brian Brisset didn't play against Louisiana Tech. You know, that kind of hurts the numbers a little bit. Obviously, his, his sister died, so we're thinking about him. Um, the question for me is going to be, yeah, what, what Devin Leary do we get? Because what we've gotten from him against quality opponents this year has not been very impressive. Uh, 17 of 33, 211 yards, a touchdown and an interception in that game against East Carolina that, by the way, they should have lost. They played Texas Tech at home, 15 of 23, 121 yards, zero touchdowns. It's pretty disgusting. Like, that's pretty disgusting numbers. He's looked great against Charleston Southern and UConn, which means absolutely nothing to me. So I think that this is a really good bellwether game. And again, whoever wins this game is going to be in our discussion and is going to be the favorite from the ACC to try to make the field. But it, I really don't have a good feel of what to expect. No, I, I don't either. I do think the secondary injuries are, were a huge factor. They just were putting young guys out there. Last week, Ohio State also Ohio State played without its top three corners against Wisconsin. They wound up playing a second-year guy in J.K. Johnson and a true freshman in Jair Brown, and they played basically every snap at the two corner spots, but Wisconsin couldn't take advantage of it. 
But, but, but what if uh, what what if Graham Mertz was good? I know. I just can we delete old podcasts? Is that allowed in the feed? Can I just I'm delete tired. sections I'm, of it? Let's be done with this. <laughs> so if Ohio State had played Sam Hartman last week, I think you might have noticed that their top three corners were out. You certainly noticed it for Clemson. So it, Andrew Makuba is is one of the better safeties in the country. So like I, I so Austin LBJ baby, you, you can't. Give them a pass because it's a great program. You should have second team guys who are ready to step up. They just were playing young guys who kind of didn't know what to do. And they, but then again, DJ doesn't even have to be, DJ wasn't the best quarterback in the game last week. He doesn't have to be the best quarterback in the game this week. He just has to be close, close enough to hang around and keep Clemson in the game. And like, that's what he was. I still felt like there were some got to have it moments where they quarter, like called quarterback power and quarterback draw. And it felt like, man, they don't necessarily want to put DJ in a spot to make a throw right here. They're going to lean on his physicality. So, you know, whereas Sam Hartman, when they, they're going to have got to have it throws, Devin Leary got to have it throws. They're going to put it on those, on those guys' arms. But if, if it was last year's DJ Clemson loses Wake Forest, I don't think there's any doubt about that. So, I mean, that's the level. Their defense should be good enough it barely was. And so you have Clemson eight. I have Clemson seven. That gets us to the bottom. Uh, you just have Baylor and Utah left. What order do you have them in? I have Baylor nine, Utah 10. Um, Baylor, pretty impressive win over Iowa State this past week. This is going to be the actual test this week, playing against Oklahoma State at home. They can really cement themselves as the front runner in the Big 12 if they win this game. Um, you know, Utah... You mentioned it's it. just getting away from Utah. It's getting away from yeah. Utah. I feel bad for him, but like all the promise, like Florida loss, lose your best guy, tight end Brant Keithy. They still have Dalton Kincaid, their tight end factory, but like that guy kind of makes that offense go. Cam Rising's still good. Tavion Thomas at running back is still good, but man, they're not a place that is just oozing playmakers necessarily. So that is that is a huge loss yeah. for them. It, it just like you said, it, it does feel like. Things are just getting away from them because, you know, they play San Diego State uh, last week. They play fine against them. They play Arizona State 34 to 13 after Arizona State fired their coach. Like, OK, you know, I mean, it, they haven't looked dominant. They haven't looked great. I, I think that there's a lot of reasons that that's kind of been the case. They haven't run the ball as effectively as I wanted them to early in the year. They've been really good down to down, but more in the passing game. And now you lose Keithy, like you mentioned. I, that's just that's trouble to me. I and and that Florida loss kind of ages worse, you know, just with the way that uh, that things are going. They get Oregon State this week. That would be a good win if they can win convincingly in that game. I I don't know if that would be enough to necessarily get them out of the ten spot for me, but I I'm very disappointed. Not not in Utah. I'm very disappointed for Utah because yeah, like no, it, I agree with that. I, I I feel like things have just worked out in such a way that like if if things go five percent different, we're really excited about Utah and and you know, they can still win the Pac twelve. And guess what? Getting back to the Rose Bowl would rule. It doesn't matter. Like they don't have to they don't have to do, you know, they're Utah. They, like going to the Rose Bowl last year was an awesome deal. And and by the way, you might not get Ohio State when you get there this year and maybe you'll have a chance to win. Like that's awesome. I love that for them. Uh unfortunately I, I it's just tough right now. I, I wish I want things to be better. I, I want things to be better. Honestly, 
you know, you look at all three teams in the state of Utah right now who were all incredible last year, by the way. Utah won the Pac-12. BYU finished number 13 in the country and won 10 games. Uh, and Utah State shocked and won the Mountain West. And now, like, all three of those teams are just like, man, well, Utah State's a disaster. But, like, the other two of those teams are just like, oh, man, I, I just feel like things could have gone a little better and we could be really excited. And, and it's just, you know, that's football. It, it's just fun to have new teams to talk about. We thought we thought Utah had a chance to be that this year. That you know, mid October USC is still going to be a huge game, and you win that, and and everything's still in front of you. But for now, that's, what, uh, that's going on TV one, one hundred percent. They are down at the bottom of the list. So final rankings here. We both have Georgia one. We both have Ohio State two, and we both believe that that is a clear top two. Shahan has Tennessee three. I have Tennessee ten, just because I sort of didn't know what to do with Tennessee their first weekend. I'll I'll readjust on that. Shahan has USC four. I have USC five. Shahan has US has Bama five. I have Bama three. We both have Michigan six. Shahan has Penn State seven. I have Penn State four. Shahan has Clemson eight. I have Clemson seven. Shahan has Baylor nine. I have Baylor eight. Shahan has Utah 10. I have Utah nine. I do think Clemson has a chance this week to, if the secondary is healthy, if DJ plays as well as Devin Leary and that front four gets after it, I pick Clemson to make the playoff. And I, I think like Clemson has been hanging on by their fingernails a little bit here, but last year they sort of couldn't hang on by their fingernails and eventually caught up to them. I think they might be hanging on while building maybe. So I'm very curious, but I do think right now what mattered last week, Clemson and USC both showed some vulnerabilities when they probably right now are the favorites in those two conferences and are that makes them right in the thick of the playoff race. So we got to watch that, but also kind of almost everybody is a little bit vulnerable. One other game I'd advise you to pay attention to. Like you mentioned, Michigan playing its first real competition looked a little shaky. You know what they're doing this week? I know, going to play Brian Ferentz's dad. <laughs> yeah, uh, J.J. McCarthy, a quarterback who has never started a road game and who like, kind of looked like he was getting a little loose with it against Maryland, who's an awful, awful, awful defense, has to go play Iowa now. So I'm not saying that I would like take a prop bet that J.J. McCarthy is going to throw a pick six, but like it feels like he's probably going to throw a pick six, right? But that might be the only points Iowa scores, so Michigan will win ten seven. Uh, or, or it might be it might be seven five. You never know. Seven five. <laughs> I just I just have so little. I have yeah. negative faith in the Iowa offense, and I think you know the Michigan defense again is not as good as last year, but it's still pretty darn good. I just don't know how Iowa's going to do much of anything. And I get it. I get it. Kinnick Stadium, and they've beaten teams um, before, but I don't know, man. It, it's going to be interesting because. You know, Blake Corum has kind of had his way with bad teams through the first couple of weeks of the season, right? He kind of put, uh, he, he kind of took Maryland to the woodshed last week. And that was the difference in that game that maybe Michigan loses, if not for that. They're not, he's not going to be able to do that against Iowa. I, I do feel confident in that. I don't think he's going to be able to put together a 150 yard game with two touchdowns. Like it's going to be a slog. And I think that JJ McCarthy is going to have to make some real throws to escape from Iowa. And that's, Again, I'm not saying that I was going to win the game, but it is, I think, going to be very ugly for Michigan. And I think we're going to learn a lot about J.J. McCarthy and about where that Michigan offense is. Michigan didn't have tight end Eric all last week. They didn't have Donovan Edwards, the number two running back. They need to get those guys back. That opens up the dynamic part of that offense. And they need J.J. McCarthy to be dynamic, but not be nuts. 
Like he had moments, he had like a, a possession, he had a play last week where he like held the ball for 10, 10 seconds and then ran for a first down on third nine. Then he had a couple other where he held the ball for 10 seconds and fumbled for no reason. It's like, what are you doing? So you've got to, Harbaugh's got to work at this man. Matt Weiss, the, the quarterback's coach, they got to rein him in, but still maintain that, that upside, which is why they went to him instead of Cade McCarthy because of that upside. But you're also seeing some of the downside of like, well, Cade McCarthy wouldn't have done that. He was putting the ball on the ground, man, and they got lucky last week. <laughs> yeah. You, you said, uh, you said Cade McCarthy I think that Jim Harbaugh probably wishes that he could have Cade McCarthy right now (laughs) just a a, a perfect mix of those two guys but then also again Cade McNamara is hurt and so there's no like they're not there's not going to pull him you're all in with JJ McCarthy now hey 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 Alan Bowman uh he of the 605 passing yards as a freshman for Texas Tech is right there he's always on the table you're calling Alan Bowman hero the hero (laughs) of Kinnick Stadium saving the Wolverines on Saturday So uh, we'll see if we'll see if if Michigan and Iowa can get to 20 points combined. We'll be watching that. That'll be TV one for you. You excited for that one, oh, man? Confess uh, there, there's there's a lot of good games this weekend. So I don't know if that's TV one, but it's going to be up there for sure. It's going to be up there for sure. All right, so that's it for the College Football Survivor Show. Again, the Apple Podcast listeners got a deep dive into what it's like to be in the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. Shahan did that last week. I did it a couple of years ago. That's what we talked about on the Tuesday pod for Apple Podcast subscribers. $2.99 a month, you get four bonus episodes there. Follow our Twitter account at CFB Survivor Show. You can vote on who to kick out, who to add in. Goodbye, Oklahoma. Welcome, Tennessee. We'll catch you guys next week. For Shahan, I'm Doug, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.